listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Devin, I have a story that I had never encountered before. Okay. And it's somewhere between a local legend, a hoax, a mystery, a celebrity. I don't even know what you'd call that. So tell me if you've heard of this one. This is the story of Opal Whiteley. No, that sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> yes, it kind of does. This seems to have been her real name. This is a little bit like a Raleigh Faulkner where there's a lot of like, here's what she said at this point and here's what she said at the other point. I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like I'm I'm biasing you toward her already. So let me tell you about Opal. Opal was a young woman who was born in Colton, Washington. Okay. She was born in 1897 to Ed and Lizzie, who worked in lumber camps or logging towns, depending on how <laughs> formal you think these things were. But so her dad worked in timber and her mom would do all the other stuff, you know, taking care of the house, cooking, looking after the kids, all the other things that you need to live a life. You can't just go chop wood and then come home and be like, where's my blue apron? Like, I don't know. That's how it works in fairy tales, though. Your father is a woodcutter and you have beautiful (laughs) golden ringlets. Yes, yes. Opal had beautiful dark ringlets that she wore in braids. Opal has been described as the original flower child, the original hippie. She's got a lot of the... Disney princess early in the movie energy going on because All right. hmm, I'm like, where should I start at the very beginning or should I, I'm going to start at the crucial point where Opal becomes famous and then go back. So okay. Opal was first famous because she was working with this group called the Christian League. And it was basically like a teen youth group. Their whole vibe, or at least Opal's whole vibe, was about appreciating God through nature. Okay. And Opal, whatever else she may have been, was a really gifted naturalist. She knew so much about the natural creatures of Oregon, about the plants, about the animals, about the climate. And she apparently was just a fascinating speaker. So as a teenager, she would just sell out lecture halls because this is in the early 1900s, right? So we don't really have movies very much. If we do have movies, it's like man jumping backward or (laughs) baby fighting. You know, it's like two minutes long. A horse running. For a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's an Oscar bait for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So she was a lecturer and she would go around and captivate people. They said her voice was like a waterfall. The way she spoke was just so charming. She had these big, dark, expressive eyes and this thick, dark hair that she would either wear in ringlets like Mary Pickford, who she Mm -hmm. kind of looked like. Speaking of the Oscars, Mary Pickford helped found those. And she she would either wear it in those ringlets or she would wear it in braids that would kind of evoke, you know, native folks and give that extra energy. And people love to hear her talk about nature. So she became famous for this. And, but thousands of people would come and hear her. And she actually went to college early. She was precocious. She read very early. She could recite long passages from the Bible very early. She's very charismatic and very intelligent. So she went to college early. Okay. She went to the University of Oregon in 1916 on a partial scholarship because this comes through in a lot of the stories. They say she astonished her professors with her mm. knowledge of the natural world. And I've only I've only been teaching in colleges for maybe like six or eight years. I don't even remember. I've never been astonished by a student. <laughs> I've been impressed by them. I've okay. been like, wow, cool, you really got it. Or this is a neat insight. Or I really like how you linked what happened in your life to this. But like, okay. they were so astonished. And I'm like, maybe it was her charisma, because she seems to have had a lot that convinced them, like, not only is this somebody who really understands the natural world, but she also is just very captivating. So she goes to the University of Oregon. Liz, Are you want to jump in? Yeah. Could it, could it also have been sexist? Were they just maybe, like, astonished that a woman had a brain? This is early it is 1900s. possible. Okay. They're like, it's like, you know, science. Yeah. Oh, my God. Weird. <laughs> You're a fully functioning human. Yeah. Oh, my God. So at college... So, 
Opal did not actually do great in college, despite her astonishing abilities. One of the factors was she was living alone. She was living on a, you know, very little money. She was in her own world. And one of the famous stories about Opal at college is that the president's wife, the president of the college, was walking along and saw Opal, like, on her hands and knees in the dirt singing. And she's like, what you doing, Opal? And Opal is like, I am singing hymns to the earthworms. (laughs) And I'm not really sure where the conversation went after that. History does not record. But... In her sophomore year, her great-grandfather died, and her mother died really slowly. So Opal was trying to write a book. She was dealing with all this grief. She was trying to go to college. She, I think she had a lot of natural talent, but if her diary is accurate, she didn't actually have a lot of formal education. Okay. So I suspect, you know, she was a first-generation college student. She didn't have a lot of support from her family. I I think it would have been very hard for her, especially as, you know, a young woman in Oregon a hundred years ago trying to get an education. Like, there's not a lot of support for her if she starts to struggle. Right. So her grades dropped. She lost her scholarship. She left college. Oh, fuck. She moves to L.A. to try to be an actress. Okay. She's got the looks and the charisma, but, you know, Hollywood isn't really a thing yet, right? <laughs> it's a little bit a thing, but only a few people are getting stupid rich off it, right? You okay. got, like, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, that kind of thing. Okay. But most people are not. It's it's silence, and it's only barely starting to, like, credit actual actresses. Okay. She has some auditions. It doesn't work out. And she's trying to make this book, and the book is called The Fairyland All Around Us. And it was basically all her lectures because her whole shtick was, you know, the world around us is like a beautiful fantasy world. And she would call like hornets fairies and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) No, they're not. I mean, like if you said dragonflies, ladybugs, beetles. Yeah. Hornets exist to just make anger. That's all they're good for. That's not a fairy. she loved all of them. She loved worms. She loved things that would sting her. Right. Like, she I like trees. worms, but those are stripy little gremlins. They can fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Maybe they're just bad fairies. <laughs> <sighs> so she had a bunch of people who liked her from before, right? Who were like, okay, I like your thing. Yeah. Back in the day, you would fund a book. Actually, it's kind of like crowdsourcing. So instead of getting a book deal, you would go around to people who wanted to read the book. And oh. say, will you, like, pay for your copy in advance? Oh. And <laughs> that's so funny. I hadn't thought about it that way. But, oh, yeah, basically, okay. you would crowdfund it. And there's two versions of what happened to this book. One is that the printers were trying to work on it, and she kept coming in with changes. And they're <laughs> like, bitch, we done already printed the plates. <laughs> like, you cannot keep changing this book. And eventually, they got so fed up with her that they re- they were like, no, we're not doing this. We're keeping the money since you already paid for all this work, but we're not printing your book. Or, alternately, the version that she tells later is that she needed $10,000 and she was $400 short, and so the printers cruelly destroyed all of it. Mm. I don't think they would have done that if they thought they could make a profit off your book. No. Oh, well, lost time. So she went, she finished her books by hand. She, like, pasted in the pictures. She had everything. It didn't come off well. This is not the book that she is famous for. Yeah, that's a zine. Yeah. (laughs) I like her zine. (laughs) She's made her zine, and she takes her zine back east to Boston to meet with the editor of the Atlantic Monthly. It's a bad idea. (laughs) Don't go to Boston. Don't go to Boston, Opal. Get the fuck out. (laughs) Well, this is her idea. She's like, I'm going to get somebody interested in this book and then they'll publish it. Because Opal is a very confident young woman, right? Right. Just because she's dropped out of college and failed as an actress doesn't mean she's not going to be famous. Right. So she takes this book and Ellery Sedgwick is the name of the editor of the Atlantic Monthly. Nice journal, still around. Yeah. And a little prone to publishing pieces like, can women really have it all? Yeah, (laughs) thanks for that. (laughs) We're good. But she shows him this, and he's like, 
okay, A of all, I can't do anything with the fairyland around us. <laughs> but you personally are a very fascinating person. And they talk back and forth, and they start talking about her life. And he's like, you must have moved around a lot. And she's like, yeah, we lived in 19 different places. And he's like, I feel like a girl like you must have kept a diary. And she goes, in fact, I did. Uh. But you know what's really sad? My sister tore it into a million pieces. Uh. But I still have the pieces. (laughs) This is the myth. This is the legend. (laughs) And I use those words advisedly of like, I can't prove that it didn't happen, but I can't prove that it did happen. (laughs) So this is the origin story of the story of Opal, a journal of an understanding heart. So Um, what happens? (laughs) So sorry, but we've all seen Gone Girl. We know you can write your own (laughs) journal quite convincingly. Yes. All right. Oh, my God. So they send back to where these boxes of papers are, and she pieces them back together. And, like, the foreword to the book by Ellery has all this, like, ripsodic stuff talking about how she solved it. Because this is apparently her journal from when she was six or seven years old. And so it's in crayon, in large Mm -hmm. part. And it's on the back of, like, paper bags and random scraps of paper. Because, of course, she's, like, a child in an Oregon logging camp. Yeah. She later in life would fill up composition books, you know, like the ones with the marbled covers. Love those. But she spent eight months reconstructing and transcribing these. Okay. And we'll come back to kind of the contents of that and how plausible I find it in a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have some words about (laughs) a a six-year-old learning to read in an Oregon logging camp, learning to write in an Oregon logging camp. Mm And then carrying torn up scraps of old crayoned up paper 19 places. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. You know, she kept them forever. Look, I'll believe in Bigfoot, but I'm like (laughs) not able to give this poor woman the benefit of the doubt that she kept writings that were important to her. Maybe I am in need of help. Well, that's the hoax and mystery part. Yeah. But we'll get there. Yes. She, they, they serialized the story in the Atlantic. Okay. And people fucking loved this shit because it was totally the opal brand right yeah it's like oh this is the beautiful fairyland and this was about 1900 to 1920 was an absolute boom time for stories of magic girl orphans who make you appreciate the world around you or who learn to appreciate the world around them. So oh, you've got the secret, secret garden, garden, you've got a little princess, yeah. you've got Anne of Green Gables, yeah. Heidi, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, Pollyanna. But it goes, it's a very strange thing. So let me let me pull up a little bit of this thing that enchanted okay. the nation so you can be enchanted in your turn. Yeah, I'll tell you if it enchants me. I just get really overly frustrated with that turn of the century, what I consider to be needlessly flowery prose. For whatever reason, that's one of those things that just pushes my buttons and activates my almonds and gets me all riled up and I hate it. <laughs> activates your so- <laughs> almonds? <laughs> Yeah, but it's something Jason says. I don't know, man, but it's stuck. I like it quite a bit. I think that's an internet thing. (laughs) Yeah, some guru that eats activated almonds for breakfast. I don't know. Anyway, it totally activates my almonds. (laughs) So if you hate flowery early 20th century language and you also hate children being twee, do I I have a fucking read for you? (laughs) Sometimes I share my bread and jam, remember this is a six-year-old, with yellow jackets who have a home on the bush by the road, 20 trees and one distant from the garden. Today, I climbed upon the old rail fence close to their home with a piece and a half of bread and jam, and the half piece for them and the piece for myself. But they all wanted to be served at once, so it became necessary to turn over all bread and jam on hand. I broke it into little pieces and they had a royal feast there on the old fence rail. I wanted my bread and jam, but then yellow jackets are such interesting fairies, being among the world's first papermakers, and baby yellow jackets are such chubby youngsters. Thinking of these things makes it a joy to share one's bread and jam with these wasp fairies. Fuck your bread and jam. Get out of here with that shit. <laughs> so there's about 16 chapters in this book. Every one of them is like... 10 pages long. Okay. And every one of them goes on like this. And it's got a couple interesting components. 
One is that there's a lot of French in there. So she's hmm. cleaned up the spelling. She's left a couple of unusual spellings to indicate, like, you know, here's where I learned the concept of the word scrutinize, and I didn't really know how to spell it, but I thought it meant, like, screw tin eyes or something. Oh, gotcha. But it also has a lot of references to well-known figures. So here we go. All those trees are my friends. I call them by names I have given to them. I call them Hugh Capet and St. Louis and Good King Edward I. And the tallest one of all is Charlemagne, and the one around where the little flowers talk most is William Wordsworth. And there are Byron and Keats and Shelley. When I go straight for the milk, I do so like to come around this way by the lane and talk to these tree friends. I stopped tonight to give to each a word of greeting. You're like, so her explanation for this buckle the fuck up, I guess, <laughs> is that her real name is not Opal Whiteley. Isn't it? She was not born to Ed and Liz. Oh my god. Who were her parents? One of the things that happens in here is she chants, like, a series of French words that okay. seems like they are nonsense. But when you take the first letter of every word, oh it spells out Henri de Orlans. So... The Lost Prince of France. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And she writes in her journal about Angel Mama and Angel Papa, who are her real parents, because according to her, um, her father died, which Henri did in 1901, and her mother, who is some kind of French aristocrat, tends to change over time, (laughs) drowned. And then Opal got scooped up by the Whiteleys, who apparently were like, yeah. Another mouth to feed. Oh, thank God. She looks like she's going to be real wordy. Um, <laughs> and they named her Opal after a child that they had had of the same age who died. Okay. So that's Opal's story. Is She basically writes this really long journal that is just, I tried to get through it, man, but it is a lot. It's also full of a lot of, I, I mean, I think you can tell from my tone, I do not buy this for a fucking second. Yeah. It's full of winky stuff, too, that I think is like... When kids misunderstand stuff in real life, it's cute about 1% of the time. When Opal misunderstands it, it's cute 100% of the time. Oh, my God. Or at least, like, she's like, oh, you know, I have these neighbors, and they really wanted children, and they must have prayed to God so well because he gave them a baby only five months after they got married. Oh, dear Lord. This is completely a, like, ha-ha, kids say the darndest things. Oh, my God, yes. This is every mother on Tumblr ever. I thought this was an extremely BS situation. Yeah. So I went and did some original research. That's my girl. And my original research consisted of going to my parenting group and asking the parents of six and seven-year-olds to give me samples of stuff their kids actually wrote. Nice. And it's not to say that she couldn't have been a very bright child, but let's see. This is a story from a seven-year-old named Julia May. This was dictated, and her mother wrote it down. But I think it gives you a sense of, like, well, maybe if Opal was really good at writing, she would have the patience to write all this stuff. But here's, like, what a seven-year-old tells a story like. Okay. A boy was once carrying an apple that he bit, and then he started to laugh because he saw the adoption center. He threw an apple at the only baby there. No one wanted that baby. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best story. The boy started to laugh harder, and he took the baby's teddy bear. The boy's sister ran toward the adoption center because she knew that he was there because he always did that. I will kick you if you don't stop, bro, she said. Mom is coming, he said. The mom came and said, why did you do this? You do this every time. Give back her teddy bear now. The mom slammed the door while pushing the boy into his room. The boy looked up and saw his blanket because his foot was broken. What? This is the thing with kids is they always assume you have total context for what they're talking about. For all of it. That's another thing that makes me really skeptical about Opal's diary is she always explains, like, she never just says, like, I fell into the woodpile. She's like, you know, here's where the woodpile is. Here's where it came from. Yeah. Here's what it's behind. Yeah. Here's why I was over there. Here's what I was thinking while I did it. She puts, like, cliffhangers in. She'll be like, just then I heard a heavy step. You're like, who, who journals like that? Who, yeah, not, no. And then somebody ran into the sister's room and put something in her mouth to make her fall unconscious. <laughs> and then there's, like, a whole component where, let's see, the sister gets taken to, like, a dungeon or something. So let's see. Yeah, so this little girl goes to the devil world. She started floating and an eye patch went on her eye because the master devil took out that eye. Uh, the next day she was in bed because she was just asleep. She thought she was dreaming, but nope, the eye patch was still there. Time for another day at school. She whispered, <laughs> I wonder what those kids are going to think about me. 
Then she bumped into someone who had an eye patch, too. Perhaps he lost it in battle. It's like, <laughs> kids sometimes do pull out weird phrases that they've picked up, but, like, it's it's never aptly used. Then they started to talk to each other. The girl said hi, and the boy said hi back. Then they went to a nice diner place that they recommended for a date one day. Then the boy was holding an engagement ring box, which meant that he wanted to marry her. He had a question to ask, and it was probably the wanna-marry-me thing. And then... <laughs> And then he did ask that question, and the girl said yes. The girl had a baby at the hospital. <laughs> oh, my God. They were God. very happy because the baby was a boy, but he still had two eyes, not like his parents. They wouldn't just take out his eye. They were very happy. <laughs> then they brought him home, and the baby started to grow up into a kid, but people mistaked him for a girl because he had long hair and wore a dress. But that's what boys can do. The boy started to grow into a teenager, and then he had a girlfriend, and they got married at the end. So that's how an actual seven-year-old tells a story. Oh, my God. Which, oh, my God. So... In conclusion, there's some components that I just don't buy about Opal's story. Yeah. She names everything around her after historical figures, like I was reading you before. And then yeah. she's like, I have a mouse and his name is Felix Mendelssohn because of this and that and the other thing. And she, they're always apt. So according to her, there was a journal that came with her from Angel Mama and Angel Papa. Ah. And that's where she learned all these names. No. And it's like, Okay. <laughs> No. I could understand that a precocious kid with a really good memory might obsess about, like, a name or a term. Right. I don't think you would then also have all this context about who these people were and yeah. make these, like, wanky, cute little things of, like, ah, the tallest one is Charlemagne. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be six years old and have a bird for a pet and name it Harper Lee. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's way too on the nose. Right. So this... Sold really well. It was okay. very popular. But there was a guy from her hometown who was like, ahem, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so his name was Albert Bede, another okay. great 19th, 20th century name. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah. the uh, publisher's name. I love. Oh, yeah. Let's see. So we've got S Ellery Sedgwick and Albert Bede. Yes. Albert. Not Albert. 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 And Albert was like... This is not what a, a six-year-old kid wrote. Come the fuck on. Yeah, not even like, Luna Lovegood, man. Like, you're getting no. out there. No, and he interviewed a bunch of people, including her family, and was like, what does this have to do with anything? Right. Like, people came in to Cottage Grove, and they debated it, and they discussed it, and... Her family was, of course, completely humiliated by this because one of the through lines in the book is that Opal is often writing these journal entries, you know, the ones that are, like, so long. Yeah. That are, they're, like, ten printed pages long. She's writing them in, you know, crayon. Crayon. Little hand. She's writing them from under the bed because the mama, who's her, like, Lizzie, the mother. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, you know, she beat me, and then she made me go under the bed until I can get beaten some more. So she writes Aww. about her parents in this really harsh way, okay. and then said, they're not even really my parents, and they're awful to me. And oh. so when everybody descends on Cottage Grove, being like, ooh, the mystery of Opal, thank God her grandmother, Pearl, because they're on a theme. Yeah, they the are. Names, says the only mystery of Opal is why she decided to hurt her family like this. <laughs> Way to go, Pearl. You call out Rachel Dolezal when you see her. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, did you ever keep a diary, Devin? Oh, my God. Yes. I'm so embarrassed. I always kept diaries. Have I told you this before? I always kept diaries right after I read stories about girls yes. keeping diaries. Yeah. And so all of my shit was really flowery. And I'm like, in case anything ever happens, and this is the last will and testimony of my time and generation, yes. I have to record it historic all. Times. I oh think my God. I was just like, I, I will die like Anne Frank, and everybody will just talk about how brilliant I was Definitely. and all my untapped potential. Because when you're 13, I guess you can't really imagine being an adult. No. Not no, they were always so self conscious. Oh my and god, so so like, let me explain who my sister is. Let me explain yeah. why I went to fourth grade. Yeah. And then I would always, first of all, writing by hand is tiring, oh, and god. I don't even think as an adult I could write by hand as much as Opal seems to have written. Yeah, and I always would lose interest after about two days. Easily, good god, mm -hmm. you get two or three entries, and then a week later you do another one out of guilt, and then it's done until you read the yeah. next historic biography. Yes. And then you pick it up and you look back. Yeah. The other thing is when I have kept a journal, 
fully 50% is just me venting about people I'm mad at, <laughs> which is that just a Scorpio thing? <laughs> but I'm like, I have a, an unbiased listener here in you, dear diary, mm-hmm. who I shall write to. And let me tell you about what a bitch this person's been. <laughs> And then you go back and you're like, oh, I look terrible. This is so bad. Yeah. See, I was, because I knew that people were going to read my diary, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings posthumously. So I would never write bad things about them. That's very kind of you. It was very kind. I always had to describe myself too. You know, I'm, (laughs) I have sandy blonde hair and sparkling blue eyes. No, bitch. You, (laughs) like... Everything had to be beautiful. It had to be um, complimentary. I wouldn't say bad things about other people. I mean, I wouldn't even be honest with my own fucking diary. It was not a place for you to write these, like, candid thoughts because there was still that element of performance of someone's going Mm -hmm. to read this someday because it's important words. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Opal has that times a thousand. Oh, my God. It's not sequential. Or if it is sequential, then she just goes long periods of time without writing. Okay. Which I think is odd. And every episode has kind of like, here's a story, and here's where I did, you know, beginning, middle, and end of this, and it it comes to this tidy conclusion. So Opal never went back to Oregon. So she's a famous Oregonian. A lot of her papers are in the Oregon Historical Society. There's a mural of her in Cottage Grove. Okay. But she never went back. She wrote one more book in 1923. It was a self-published volume of poetry titled The Flower of Stars. It's terrible. Uh, is it? Yeah. It's, oh, it's no. very bad. Yeah. I, well, I don't care for it. It didn't take off, put it this way. Right. So she lived on the East Coast for a while because what she could do successfully was teach, right? Like, so she would teach the kids of rich people. Okay. One of the problems is that Her story is weird and it's making people uncomfortable because, of course, she doesn't think of herself as, you know, I am the child of people from a lumber camp who's quite good at natural stuff because I was an observant child. Yeah. She's like, I am a French princess. And the story starts expanding. She says, you know, there's mysterious agents following me because of this whole kidnapping thing. Okay. Yeah, she like now I have a hard time because I'm going, am I making fun of someone's mental illness just progressively expressing itself? We we might be making fun of someone's mental illness, (laughs) (laughs) which is a bummer. But also maybe we're just making fun of a huge narcissist. Opal decided to follow her angel father and travel around the world where he went. Because indeed, this person who she says was her father lived in a lot of places. Okay. And she made some interesting friendships with rich people. She always liked being around rich people. Who doesn't? And she found romance with an Indian con man who was like a swami, was doing the old like (laughs) fleece white people with ancient Indian wisdom thing. Yeah. (laughs) They're perfect for one another. Yeah. And according to Weird Oregon, apparently the British government in India at the time, the people who were there, who I understand were kind of often the interesting aristocrats of Britain. Yeah. They mostly accepted her claim to French royalty, but they did not accept an interracial relationship. Oh. Yeah. So they were like, you got to get the fuck out of here. Wow. And so she goes back to England. Her writing starts to get confusing she doesn't like kids anymore she's writing in a very muddled way she starts saying oh i actually was supposed to be in a prearranged marriage to the duke of windsor (laughs) okay what yeah um she's not eating well she survives the blitz and she goes through like houses that are bombed to rubble picking out books okay (sighs) so opal's going downhill and in 1948 Opal gets committed to Knapsbury Hospital, which is a mental hospital in lo- north of London, I guess I would say. Okay. And she stayed there until she died in 1992. Holy shit. So we were alive shit. at the same time as Opal. Yeah, she lived a really long time. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, 56 years in this hospital where 
they at least humored her. Like, it's not clear. They probably didn't believe her, right? Because you don't believe what people tell you in that setting, even if they are absolutely telling you the truth. But they called her princess, and they looked after her, and I I don't know if she had a good time or not. Okay. Probably not. Mm, Yeah. I can't tell. I don't know. She didn't write very much from there. Okay. And she died, and she's buried in London's Highgate Cemetery, where on her stone, it says Opal Whiteley and Francois-Marie de Bourbon Orlan. And I'm sorry about my French pronunciation, everybody. I studied German in school. <laughs> but basically, they buried her someplace that is like Karl Marx is buried there. Um, Douglas Adams' ashes would later be there. Not much later, actually, now thinking about it. Right. But it's, it's a very famous cemetery. Very wow. fancy. Like guided tours, gorgeous, and she's in this place listed both as the name under which she gained all this celebrity and the name that she claimed, which I think is sweet. And they also carved in the epitaph, I spake as a child. Because, you know, from, you know, when I was a child, I spoke Spoke as as a child. child, Yeah. All this kind of stuff. So she is still... A mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, Cottage Grove has gotten a lot more understanding toward her okay. over the years. Her her descendants have become more accepting. You know, her descendants of her relatives, I yeah. should say. She never married. She never had kids. It's still, I couldn't really find a good linguistic analysis. I've seen some things that said, you know, these, these crayons are from after she claims to have written it or this yeah. paper doesn't hold up. But... Other people said, no, you know, she definitely was a diary keeper, and she was a writer, and this is all consi- completely consistent with her voice. Yeah. I don't know. My my theory is that she probably did have a childhood diary, and maybe even the tearing it up story was true, but that she edited it to fit with what she thought people wanted to hear. Yeah. And basically rewrote it. That it wasn't, like, it's presented as just, here's my diary and i've cleaned up the spelling so it's easier to read but i think she probably boiled it down into something very mm, digestible Mm -hmm. and -hmm. very like you know here's these episodes because we're going to serialize it in a magazine yeah and very much with the audience in mind yeah so that's what i think people have tried to put a lot of diagnoses on her after the fact to explain you know why was she so precocious why was she so prone to these fantasies okay and i think it's too easy to use a diagnosis to really cram a whole life into one term yeah for sure yeah for sure well and that's i mean that's problematic to try to diagnose Mm -hmm. someone with the very little information you have that was self-selectively given and then community selected to be preserved as a memory You're, you're not getting any nuance or any of the filler it seems clear to me she was really bright. Yeah. And a really good speaker. I think she impressed a lot of people. Yeah. I think I'm just of the wrong era to appreciate her sort of like books in the rolling brooks, God is in everything, hornets are fairies kind of vibe. Yeah. But she was completely on track with her like Mary Pickford, Anne of Green Gables, Heidi vibe for yeah. her time. And so I think there's an element of that whole like child prodigy thing. Right. Of, cause, you know, even when she was, when this book was getting promoted, she basically looked like she was 14. Like she dressed really young, even though she was 19 and 20. Okay. She dressed really young. She had her hair in the big braids. Like she didn't put it up. She didn't dress like an adult. Okay. And so I think sometimes it's really hard for child stars to find that second act. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like her first act I don't know if she came up with the whole I'm French royalty or if Ellery nudged her toward it or what. But, you know, the thing that made her famous drove her away from her family, which meant when Mm -hmm. it fell through, I I don't see her editor helping her. I don't see anybody helping her. So she's just screwed. Right. She would be screwed. You mentioned um, how she looked, so I'm looking her up online now as we talk Mm -hmm. to her. And I totally see what you mean about that. Mary Pickford, she's got, like, this mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland pinafore kind of thing on. Yes. Yeah, Super. she's very pretty, but it's yeah. very youthful, yeah. nature-oriented. And you know, sometimes she would dress up in, like, what she considered tribal clothing and okay. sometimes alluded to being related to the tribes or whatever because, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and uh, she's definitely... 
She's definitely like a a writer in terms of thought and tone of that kind of like I don't think this is the right term, but like the literary romanticism naturalism mm-hmm. blend where they're they're trying to be scientific in their observations or at least catalog the things that they're seeing in the natural world. But like Thoreau, but giving it a a mm-hmm. purity of morality or purity of intent. And so I see yeah, how she... this is that big industrial revolution reaction yeah. where they're like, oh, real good is not found in the cities. Real good right. is in the natural world. And right. again, this is like so like Louisa May Alcott mm-hmm. and so many writers who are like, oh, you have to take the sickly child or the grumpy adult mm-hmm. and have them connect with a healthy child who will show them the beauty of the world around mm-hmm. them. The natural world the na- specifically. Right, right. A definite return to goodness and innocence and... Mm-hmm. That was their version of, you know, organic, clean, local. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I feel bad for how it all ended for her. I I really doubt she was adopted. But did you ever fantasize about being adopted when you were a kid? Well, I did, but not in a good way. I I did mm-hmm. because of because of un- uh, unsolved mysteries. And sightings and stuff like that. And they would Mm -hmm. always, I mean, you know, as a kid, because that's what you're exposed to, you think it's going to play a much bigger role in your life. Uh, Yes, like quicksand. Like quicksand. (laughs) I was always going to have to worry about quicksand and what vines I could grab on and why I needed to know a stalactite from a stalagmite. but I, was, I thought a lot more information about Egypt was going to be pertinent to my life, so, given how much emphasis it got in school. So important, right? And to know the layers of the rainforest. What is the canopy? What is yes. what is the lower canopy? Um, but no, those, you know, like, Unsolved Mysteries always had these scary, like, I found out when I was 38 that I was actually adopted, and my parents never told me, and they had kidnapped me from my real parents. Mm -hmm. And so I was afraid that I loved my parents and my family so much, I remember being really freaked out that I was going to find out I was adopted and that I didn't belong to them. And then I asked my mom a whole lot, like, was I adopted? Was I really adopted? And I think you're trying to just like jump out at her, like I'm going to catch her off guard. Exactly, this woman who I look exactly like and also look exactly like my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Show you, startle it out of you. And I know it really hurt her feelings, but as a kid, you don't. It just comes across as like I'm not your kid, instead of like Mm -hmm. I'm terrified that I'm not your kid and that you're playing a trick on me because that's the worst thing my kid brain can come up with. Like, yeah, well, it's also a very child understanding of like you're trying to figure out where you fit into the world totally i feel like for kids we don't really understand why people look after us necessarily Mm -hmm. so we're always afraid it's all going to get taken away i think this is a very normal kid thing to obsess about like i i also thought about you know what if my parents split up who would i go live with what if my parents died where would i go yeah what would i do And because I was a kid who read a lot and had unrealistic expectations, I wasn't like, I will go to one of my 17 aunts and uncles. I was like, I guess I'll just have to get a job and look after my sister. I'm 13. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You'll be riding the rails, but you'll be doing it together. Yeah, we'll become the boxcar children. Exactly. I think it's just because it's that Disney mother effect, you know, where Mm -hmm. like you can't plausibly go on adventures unless you're like harry potter Mm -hmm. and there's an explanation as to why nobody gives a raw shit about you fighting dragons (laughs) and the ultimate evil or whatever right right it's complicated and i think for a lot of kids and probably for opal my guess is what her childhood you know and i'm obviously just hugely guessing here is that her parents probably worked really hard they had other kids after her she probably felt like she wasn't getting enough attention from them right she probably felt like they were being really hard on her because a lot of her stories in her diary have this element of I, I see myself in this with my daughter where I'm just like, I am glad you are in fairyland right now, but you need to put your shoes on. It's time to put your shoes on. <laughs> Dear God, put your shoes on. And I'm not trying to like deny the fantastical element of her soul. I just need her to put her goddamn shoes on. And you imagine that 10 times worse if you're like subsistence level migrant workers yeah. in the harsh boondocks of yeah. Oregon. And you've got this kid who's like, I'm going to leap from the woodshed into the arms of this Douglas fir that I have a name for. And you're yeah. like, we don't have a doctor. We, 
If you break right. your dumb leg, right. you're going to be even less helpful than you already are. Opal, would you focus up? Right. Focus you- up. <laughs> Hone that shit. Opal, do you know how fucking hard we work to get you two pieces of bread with jam and you just fed them to some fucking wasps? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Eat your fucking food. Yeah, eat your food, Opal. Eat your food. She's she's like extremely unsupervised, according to her diary. And so she is just like wandering around all the time. And I think based on other books from the time, I'm thinking of like Laura Ingalls Wilder, that was fairly realistic. Like school was not always in session. If it was in session, you couldn't always spare the kids to go. Opal doesn't go to school very much. And when she does, she doesn't really click with the teacher because, of course, she's on her own wavelength. (laughs) And I think all of that rings totally true to me. It sounds like she was a really observant kid who spent a lot of time thinking about the world around her and appreciating the beauty and the nature and being a good observer. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like nobody, either when she was a young child or then later as a celebrity, really knew how to help her channel that into also being able to put on her goddamn shoes. goddamn shoes. That's a parent's job. (laughs) You told me once. I really identified for many reasons with Lizzie Whiteley in that I think Lydia and the other kids I look at because I volunteer at the crisis nursery. Yeah. I look at, look, look after. At. Uh, the kids I look at <laughs> and just shake my head You're not slowly. creepy at all. I look at them. Look at it's them. like a fish tank. God. Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes they're like, why are you constantly not letting me play? Why are you constantly shutting me down? Yeah. It's like because keeping a kid alive and clothed and fed and rested takes so much time. Jesus, And dude. I think about what it must have been like in like rural, not even a city yet, Oregon. Like there's no babysitter. No. There, nothing is childproof. No. Like at one point, Opal is like, well, let's see. The father or the daddy or whatever she calls him. Not the daddy, the data. Yeah. Um, this guy who is probably her real father, but she doesn't want to believe because she wants to think that she's a French princess. She's like, oh, he said he was going to cut ham this evening, and he's always too tired when he comes home to do anything that he says he's going to do in the evening. So she goes and gets a giant knife and goes and finds the ham and starts, like, cutting slices off it and, like, hanging them up on the wall because she's very proud of how good they look. Oh, my God. And I'm like, completely a kid move. I totally buy that this incident happened. Yeah. But also, like, that... You want a kid with one eye? That's <laughs> like right? in that other story, right? That's how you end up with an eye patch. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, helping yeah. so proud of that ham that they had to work so fucking hard for. You nailed it to your goddamn drywall, you idiot mm-hmm. kid! What the fuck yeah, is wrong with you? Put it on a rough plate, log cabin. Oh yeah, shit. totally. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, "I'm gonna go feed this to the pig, who's my friend, and the dog, who's my friend, what? and the tree, who's my friend, and the mouse." And like, there's one point she has a a, a pet rat, and her mother is like, "Do not feed any more of our cheese to this rat." Oh, thank God, right? mother. Like, yeah, I don't think they had a lot of money. They can't like, have. Don't get that sense. And especially there, it's like, so who has a cow in this logging camp? Yeah. Who's making cheese? No, like, that's probably really expensive and hard to come by. Yeah. And Opal is like, aha, logic. I will not take the cheese to the rat. I will take the rat to the cheese. So she starts bringing the rat into the kitchen whenever her mother's not around and letting it eat the cheese. Opal, you're a like, dick. You're actually really selfish. This? Yeah. Yes. That's the thing is I'm like, I'm really glad that Opal connected with these animals and I completely understand why she had a hard time connecting with her parents because it sounds like however intelligent they may have been yeah they didn't have time to sit around and like have deep philosophical discussions with opal because they were just trying to stay alive right and so she was off in her own world and i don't know i feel bad for them i feel really bad that they were like you know, like most parents probably going, well, I don't think we were perfect parents, but I didn't think we were so bad you had to pretend you were an orphan. You had to pretend you were an orphan and write about how we beat you. Yeah. Damn. So I'm glad the tide is turning a little bit on Opal. I think it's nice when we can kind of take the best part of someone's life and cherish that, you know, when she was successful and people were really into her message. And yeah. I'm I'm sorry that the world didn't take better care of her as she outgrew being adorable. (laughs) Like Macaulay Culkin. 
happens to us all. He's doing okay these days. He's he had a rough great patch. great these days. And according to his yeah. AMA on Reddit, the rough patch was greatly exaggerated by tabloids. <laughs> and that he was oh. like, yeah, whatever. I did a little bit of coke and a little bit of pot like everybody did. Uh, but it wasn't out of control. I'm fine. Well, okay, Opal. I, you know, like you said, I like thinking about her as the best of her intentions. Yes. I think there's like three claims about Opal, and I buy one and a half of them. All right. So I think she did have a really good rapport with nature because right. otherwise she wouldn't have, you know, sold out thousands of tickets to her lectures. Yeah. I think that she did write diaries. I don't think she wrote the story of Opal, a journey of an understanding heart or whatever. I don't think she wrote most of that when she was six or seven. Sure. And I do not think she was adopted. Okay. But uh, the adopted thing isn't the most interesting part about her. No, it really isn't. Isn't it just so tertiary? Yeah, although it seems to have been, I wonder if she was trying to do that, like, leapfrog thing. Like, okay, I've ridden this nature thing as far as I can. Let me try to jump to this. I, I wonder how much she believed it. I wonder yeah. if it was the kind of thing that, because she says she has memories of these people, of Angel Mama and Angel Papa. She says she has a memory of a journal that had all this information in it that somehow got lost. And I wonder, with her isolation and her intelligence, if she sort of solidified those into the, like, yes, I really do remember this. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, we all have weird memories from childhood of things that couldn't possibly have happened, or at least a lot of us do, because kid brains aren't storing stuff 100% correctly. Oh, my God. No, you've got spooky toddler as proof. Mm -hmm. um, well, it sounds too like she's a, a person who either couldn't or didn't want to really tell the difference between fantasy and reality. I don't think she did. I don't think there was a lot of advantage to her in doing that. Yeah. And I think people were happy to exploit that. Yeah. And really kind of make her play that up instead of being like, okay, Opal, like, I'm glad the hornets are fairies or whatever, but like, what do they eat? She's like, bread and jam and fairy wings. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just you're like, <laughs> you sound like when Tobias is Mrs. Featherbottom. <laughs> <laughs> Still fuck hornets. <laughs> fuck your bread yeah. and jam. I'm uh, nah, I'm with you on the opal story. From what you've told me, I also agree with about fifty percent of what she said was true, and the other fifty percent, mm -hmm. I need more evidence. Dubious at best. <laughs> yes, we'll rate this undetermined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of the what is it you always say? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Do I uh, always say I, that? I think you always say that. That sounds like a smart uh, thing. <laughs> Roll the tape, producer. <laughs> but I, I think to have any kind of evidence that she was not simply born to this couple who were raising her, she would have had to come up with literally anything. Yeah. And she had nothing. Yeah. Opal, you Except her memories. You want to know how you are a advanced kind of special connectedness with nature child and having two rather i assume you think are pedestrian parents like you can't mm -hmm. answer that mystery with another mystery you don't get to be a lost princess anastasia baby exactly yeah but that's so like she was so of her time with that of like i am a magical child i am connected to the earth and also i'm an orphan except not really maybe we can connect me with my relatives somehow and i'll be you know yes yeah, anastasia i'll be sarah crew and my mm -hmm. you know father's rich friend will come rescue me yeah oh yeah <sighs> yeah i think she would have been i don't know if she would have been fun to hang out with i feel like Ugh, she would have been precocious exhausting. kids often aren't yeah yeah and i went to read with a lot of like people <laughs> who were child prodigies yeah. and it's fucking tedious yeah because when you let me tell you what you don't learn when you're a bright kid is how to shut up and let somebody else talk <laughs> oh my friend oh i think you were one of the few people who went to read that i could have connected with <laughs> i think you probably would also jam out with dr demento I mean, with a name like Dr. Demento, how would I not? Yeah, or maybe Emilio Pucci. But. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's was the that main the dog? I think of. 
Emilio yes. Pucci sounds like a dog name. <laughs> I'm not going to correct that. All I right. think you're 110% right. Uh, it was a dog, a dog who went to my school. Oh, well, come um, on. I thought maybe you had a, a therapy dog and his name was Emilio Pucci and there was a, a famous name. Well, now I'm gonna. Now there was a famous name like a, a, a Emilio Puccini or something like that. Puccini, like Italian or whatever. And like you called him Emilio Pucci is like a clever joke. And I'm just trying to go along with it because I don't know these fucking references, dude. They're not in my fucking wheelhouse. And you're exposing me as a hack. And now I had to invent this fantastical backstory where you had a dog named Emilio Pucci who went to read and maybe he was a prodigy and I don't know. I don't you know. Think that's Liz. hard. Now I have to go get a dog and name it Emilio Pucci. <laughs> <laughs> we got a name picked out for it already. But I thought I was going to name it DB Pooper. <laughs> I only need two dogs. <laughs> have I told you? I'm going to trademark this. My my time in Boston is going to be being great because I'm going to get Bailey a tiny little colonial hat and a tiny little colonial vest, and he's going to be an Instagram star because I'm going to take him around to historic places here as small Revere. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> TM, TM, TM. Nobody listening can do this. But I like that You can lot. have DB Pooper or Emilio Pucci. Maybe you need two dogs. Marquis de Lafayette. <laughs> With his girlfriend, Marie Antoinette. They're both French poodles, in case anybody was wondering. That's 110% correct. Yes. All right. Well, we're not topping that, so I'll do an outro for yeah. us. I am going to share on our social media. Her whole um, book is available for free now. I'd read that. And well, yeah, I can try. I'd slog through to, part of that. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I was just like getting increasingly fed up with it. So I will share it so people can read it and judge for themselves. Because you know, just because I just because I don't think children write that way does not mean one child never wrote that way. I could be wrong. But anyway, I'll share it on our social media, which includes the Ouija Broads on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I will put it in the show notes on our website at OuijaBroads.com. Probably put it up on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash OuijaBroads, where any outtakes from this episode will have gone. <laughs> and probably it's been up early for a couple days. So if you're listening to this on Patreon, thank you for your support. Yeah. I basically just put them up when I get done. So it's like you get a little real-time thing of how on top of my shit I am. Uh, She's like, wow, Thursday evening. Always this on top must be of really her neglecting shit. her dissertation. Oh, my God. Folks, she gets it up and edited like two days after I put it on our shared drive. So it's really a measure of how quickly did Devin get her files up onto a thing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, Let's see. I did all the social. You did all the social. I like it when people rate and review and subscribe yeah, because it do. helps other people find us and it helps our egos so much and other than that you gotta live weird die weird and stay weird thank you for listening to this one thank you for listening the, the princess the storyteller the legend <laughs>